Welcome to Energy Sense, the podcast that explores the most fascinating trends, news, and ideas in energy efficiency. I'm Jason Roop, and I'm here with Chris Rawlings, the Chief Energy Officer of VLED Energy. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Good. We decided to use this episode to talk about some of the big stories that are in the headlines and see how they relate to uh, the energy industry, because there's a lot going on right now. We were just listening to a news conference about the infrastructure bill, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I wanted to uh, check in with you on a big project that you just finished, which I thought was interesting, the NATO building. And we were approached by a few different solar contractors about a year ago about partnering up on this project. And so NATO is trying to accomplish the 30% energy reduction across the board um, by incorporating uh, solar renewable energy and energy efficiency, LED lighting retrofit. So uh, just made sense to, to partner up with someone. So we did, uh, submitted the bid, awarded the, the contract. Uh, it was about 1.3 million uh, in total. And yeah, just started working with the the, the U.S. Navy CBs over there yeah. uh, that that are maintaining the facilities there at the NATO building. Pretty cool to see thirty three countries represented in in one building. I uh, got a chance to to meet the uh, Supreme Allied Commander over there, so it was pretty cool. And that's in Norfolk, Virginia, for folks who aren't from here, which was a big, yeah, yeah. big military area, Hampton yeah, Roads. Yeah, Hampton Roads, Seven Cities, Norfolk, Chesapeake, all that. So. Yeah, it was a great time. I didn't even know the building honestly existed there yeah. before. I guess there was a lot of security. Was that something you all had to work around or was that not really a challenge? Well, we knew that uh, obviously to get on base, you need to get a base pass and it's just easier to, to get on and off without being escorted. So that's pretty standard across all military bases. Uh, there was some additional uh, security measures obviously in place when, when you're dealing with NATO uh, and their building. But honestly, it was it was very seamless to work with them. They made the process pretty easy for us. We just lucked out with the timing and had great partners that, that were prime contractors on the deal. And so essentially, we worked under them and kind of uh, let them kind of guide the whole project. Uh, but we did work hand in hand with the facility folks and really understanding the facility. One of the challenging things that that it came down to was the different departments that work within the buildings, um, insert COVID restrictions. Oh, right. Um, you know, look at different shifts and things that people take with different jobs within the building. So we had to make sure that uh, we had the least amount of impact on their existing operations. So we actually did this job uh, in the evenings and potentially even on the weekends at, at some times to crash the schedule a little bit. So it was it was interesting. Uh, the, the guys enjoyed it. It was a great project for us. We're excited to do some more work with with Convert Solar. Shout out to to Chad Wilkins and the team over there. And since you mentioned the solar part of this, um, is I wonder if that's something you're seeing more of because I know you have another project that's similar to that where you teamed up with a renewable energy provider and you all worked on a project together. You know, first off, the energy community in general, a lot of us are a part of the same associations, whether it's Association of Energy Engineers or maybe ASHRAE or U.S. Green Building Council. There's a lot of synergies. There's a lot of companies that try to do both. We know what we're good at on, on the demand side uh, and, and contracting for energy efficiency. And so we felt it was best to just partner with solar developers in the, the different geographical areas where we were targeting some projects or working with some clients. But the engineering, a lot of it is is the same, right? Like we're still looking at the supply side when we're trying to calculate base rates and time of use rates and 
looking at all the charges essentially that are coming in on your bill and trying to offset as much of that energy. And they should be working with the energy efficiency folks when they're doing these projects anyways, because they want to make sure that they're designing the system accurately to reflect the load profile that that building is producing that day or, or will be producing after they incorporate some energy conservation measures and energy efficiency measures. Um, so we work hand in hand with, with solar folks quite a bit. And that's kind of how it should be done. You know, we, we've got some great partners you know, lenders that help us financially structure these projects in a specific way. We have teams that work together to capture rebates and incentives at the utility and, and sometimes a regional level. So we really kind of work hand in hand as a team, but it's good to keep, you know, still keep those teams separate and not try to do everything all at once uh, as as one company, because we've just seen some some inconsistencies out in the market when different companies try to take on certain things that, that maybe they're not familiar with. So if you have a, a client that specifically wants a power purchase agreement and needs specific terms and the underwriting needs to be done a certain way because they have a specific type of insurance or maybe they're located next to a, a, a gray zone that might be built up. And in a year, and then you've mm -hmm. got obstructions on the solar panels that are on the roof that are supposed to generate X amount of power. So you can, it gets convoluted. Yeah. So it's great to work with the solar companies. And I think we'll get a lot more business moving forward uh, as energy efficiency contractors and really partnering with these renewable energy folks. You might have some good advice for businesses that might want to partner up with others on those services, because to me, I would think that this would be a great way to get new business. Channel partners in our space are crucial to help smaller companies that are serving specific markets like us grow and scale. It's it's just important to understand where your true value proposition is for the client. Be transparent and communicate with the client. Say, okay, well, what are they looking for? If they're looking for one person to run the entire show, then maybe that project's not the right fit. So the customer is going to dictate what happens in regards to what a partnership looks like. But in general, channel partners are very advantageous to have in this space because a lot of people have a lot of deep experience, but maybe in a specific niche part of energy rather than being a generalist. Because you kind of don't want to be a generalist either because then you're, you know, you're not bringing that expertise that can, that can really get the job done quicker you know, on time within budget. And I would think also for the customer, if they know they like one of the partners, they trust who that other partner is going to bring to them. Maybe they don't know where to start to find a solar company, but you could say, oh, well, I've worked with company X on these projects and they would be perfect for this project that you're doing. Right. Like we we do the same thing all the time. You know, we have a referral program, if if you want to call it that. And, and we have specific contractors that we go to for a specific thing. So if it's a if it's a green roofing job or if it's an, you know, compressed air project or combined heat and power project, I'm going to go to the folks that have been doing that for years. And we've we've done that time and time again. That's one of the biggest values of, of our company is, is our network of folks that uh, provide that value for us. Speaking of uh, business and entrepreneurship, Earlier today, you just got off of an international webcast really sponsored by Barclays. And I'm curious about what's being talked about in that area. Yeah. So I, I joined three other veteran entrepreneurs, one from here in the States uh, in Georgia, Shivana Kahawa with Academy of Scholars, and two other guys from the UK. And I think 
what Barclays is doing and, you know, internally is just sharing some webcasts uh, every quarter to show the benefits um, or maybe some of the characteristics of veterans and, and how that applies to entrepreneurship and some of the skills uh, that we use from our military experience to launch a business and sustain a business. Obviously, being a, a global company or global banking institution like they are, uh, they've got a a big reach. I know some of the folks over there, um, shout out to Tiffany, you know, they have a great veteran initiative. They hire a lot of veterans. You know, we were just excited to be invited, uh, to talk with the other folks and just share our experience of being an entrepreneur and kind of maybe some of the challenges that we faced and how we leveraged our veteran network and resources to help us in the beginning. So it was, um, yeah, it was an inspiring group of people and I was glad to be a part of it. Yeah, I've noticed that you all, uh, a lot of the veterans really do share business information with each other and just, you know, giving back to each other too. Yeah, I think it's just kind of natural for some of us to open up and talk to each other about the challenges and the struggles that we're going through. Sometimes people tend to be a little bit guarded. Um, maybe they've got their pride in the way a little bit and don't want to talk about some of the struggles or, you know, but being a part of the veteran community we open up to each other a little bit more and really are just a little bit more transparent and sometimes connect quicker and faster and kind of break through those initial barriers um, by being in the veteran community because we have kind of something in common there. Yeah. And I think, you know, for people who are listening who aren't veterans too, I just saw somebody post uh, in LinkedIn the other day about they're in a different networking group and they were talking about how much that that had helped them through the pandemic, being able to share with other people and check in on a regular basis. And it's probably good for a lot of businesses to look out for the, those opportunities. A lot of times you're by yourself, or like you said, you may be too proud to talk about some of the challenges with certain people, but if you know it's a, a protected environment, yeah, you can absolutely. get help more. One of the big stories we recently saw, and it's still making news because they're trying to get some of the money back from the, what are, what is it called when the these the hackers are coming in and they're- Cybersecurity they're, threats. Yeah, they're, they're holding something, data, ransom for you. And Colonial Pipeline had the cyber attack recently. Is this a, something you think we're going to be seeing more of? Why go after that particular type of company, I wonder? Well, I think without getting too crazy into the geopolitical stance of, of everything, I think in general, you're going to see cybersecurity threats at, at all levels. And they, and they come in constantly. And we obviously have people employed uh, in the private and public sectors to keep that from happening. So I have no doubt that we're on the pulse of where these threats are coming from and it just makes sense that any enemies that you might have might want to use technology to, mm -hmm. to get at you. So they're going to attack your infrastructure. And for, for that, what are we talking? We're talking 5G, you know, wireless, like telecommunications type stuff. We're talking utilities. That's why you're seeing these threats, the cybersecurity level, at, you know, on our supply chain for food and also our utility infrastructure. The government is also saying that businesses really need to start taking more steps on their own. I don't know where that leaves a lot of people. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's we're talking about a certain size of business here in a certain market. Obviously, there's folks that can afford that type of stuff. And then most of your small businesses can't afford to keep a full time IT person on staff. Yeah. Businesses are doing their due diligence as applicable as they grow and as they build out their infrastructure. When you're talking about managing someone's energy. You're potentially talking about having a building that has systems in it that can be controlled 
wirelessly from anywhere in the world, as long as it, they have internet access, then you're obviously talking about a, a sensitive subject. That's why you see most, if not all of the government agencies stray away from any kind of wireless technology that's going to give anybody access to turn off their lights or turn off their water or disconnect yeah. everything or shut everything down. So as we start to see the incorporation of the internet of things and machine learning, smart building type technologies, you're going to see a bigger focus on creating standards around cybersecurity and making sure that nobody can hack into your stuff. Utility resilience is what you refer yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, the, so the military talks about resilience all the time, and that incorporates a lot of different things. But one of the, the things there is definitely the cybersecurity threats. You mentioned infrastructure too, and that's the other big thing in the news. Congress has been going back and forth on the infrastructure bill and covering the crumbling bridges, roads, uh, extending into broadband. Assuming things go through, we're going to see billions of dollars put into new infrastructure projects. And how is that going to be affecting the energy industry? I think we have to look at the context of the entire infrastructure bill and look at what's being allocated where, like the exact amounts for each industry. So if you have an amount for telecom and, you know, broadband 5G, you know, making sure everybody has access to, you know, workable internet. Um, if you talk about schools being updated, if you talk about, you know, mentioned roads and bridges and everything like that. So I think we can kind of separate that out and look at what part of that infrastructure bill is going to be more focused around energy. But I can tell you that it's about how that money's managed it's going to be great for economic development and job development. But I will say there's a huge lack right now in regards to workforce development in the energy space. And that's specific around the trades, you know, electrical, mechanical, plumbing, welding, carpentry, you name it from the ground up, residential, commercial, industrial. There's a, a big workforce development issue right now. I think that spawns from years of either people being pressured to go to college or they have to, you know, get a degree instead of going into the trades where right now, I mean, I'm sure you've heard on the news, you could do, you know, two years in school and come out and start making 70, 80 K depending on where you live in certain yeah. trades. So I think we really have to discuss that before we look at, well, where's the money going to get spent? Because we can get contracts all day, but at the end of the day, we got to get boots on the ground and get the job done. There needs to be a focus on technical training, just seen the news, uh, Sunny Farms LLC is building a uh, indoor agriculture facility, $60 million facility down in Virginia Beach. But there's a, a nonprofit on site that's doing the workforce development and all the training and everything for them. So like constantly cycling through the, I think they're staffing like 150 people down there. Um, you're seeing businesses starting to partner up with these technical un universities and trade schools to try to get talent because it's a major issue. So I think a lot of the funding should go towards things like that. Is there anything you can do if you think, oh, gosh, I might be able to do some of these infrastructure projects, but I need to find people? Well, I think the balance, as a, at least as a small business owner, is trying to gauge what's going to happen in the, in the market. So if I go and hire five people, got to keep them busy, right? So mm -hmm. yeah. it's uh, getting longer term contracts that create stability within your business, reoccurring revenue through maintenance contracts or something like that, where you can keep folks staffed steadily. So that's number one. And then number two is capturing and retaining quality work. 
you just got to have a good name in the market. You got to have a good company that people want to come work for. You got to have a good culture that people want to join. You have to understand that they have different needs. People here in Virginia might have different needs than people in Washington State or Montana. So you really have to understand your workforce that you have out there. And then you have to partner with these trade schools that are pushing out brand new talent. You mentioned that farm. That's the other thing I've been learning a lot about recently is this controlled, what is it called? Controlled, controlled indoor. environment agriculture. Yeah. And we have that, that, that farm you mentioned, there's a, a big farm down in Virginia Beach that's being built. And I think in the end, it's going to be like an like 50 football fields big of a <laughs> greenhouse. and Pretty big. Yeah. So what are we seeing in that area? I mean, just in general, the CA space is very energy intensive. Now we're talking about full indoor grow facilities that are trying to simulate obviously outdoors. So you've got lighting and air quality and then the soil that they grow in or the medium that they grow in and then the water. So it's very energy intensive. It could be up 30 to 50% of your operating expenses be energy related when you're running an indoor agriculture facility. Right. So, uh, and then it obviously operates 24 seven. So those are the two big things that we look at in regards to opportunities, potential opportunities for savings is high operating hours and you know a lot of energy being used. So th this space caught my eye back in 2015 when we originally, you know, our first year and a half in the company, I had some connections out in Colorado. We did some tests with some LED grow lights and they just, uh, they were not there. We, we couldn't replicate the color spectrums needed to grow uh, the plants in, diff in their different uh, vegetative cycles, flowering cycles, and they were super expensive. It was cost prohibitive and the quality wasn't there. But we always maintain interest in the agriculture space and trying to figure out how we could get LED grow lights to, to be commonplace. Uh, as of you know, 2018, 2019, we really started seeing the quality of these LED grow lights getting to where they needed to be um, in regards to being able to tune the color spectrum and light layout, quality, everything. And so we had some customers reach out a little while ago, interested in getting some energy assessments done and just became very involved in, in the space. Uh, we joined a, a group called the Resource Innovation Institute, which essentially their job is to bring uh, best practices, uh, energy efficiency best practices to the controlled environment agriculture space. So they recently just launched a project uh, funded by the USDA where they've brought on a couple companies who have agreed to share uh, some data and, and help them help our technical working groups come up with these best practice guides. So we meet every two weeks. I'm in the controls working group and oh, we're wow. coming out with a controls guide next month. Um, and it's really, really exciting. Honestly, I, I've been a fly on the wall for the last year. I'm not sure how much I've actually helped them, but it's been amazing to hear all of their experiences. Uh, I mean, these are people that have been growing crops for years, potentially. They're, they're engineers. They've got a lot of experience. And so learned a lot about the nuances of growing crops indoors and how energy intensive it is and the importance of the right light, the right air quality, you know, growing medium, water, and all of the systems that make that stuff happen, especially at the large commercial scale. You know, I think as we see cannabis obviously being the hot topic right now, as we see that legalization start to spread throughout uh, recreationally and medically, 
throughout the country, you're going to start seeing the that market get built up. And then obviously economies of scale, you know, prices are going to drop, margins are going to become thinner. So the big operators, the big multi-state operators are going to be really and are really focused on increasing, you know, be- better yields, better quality, and essentially more profits. The other big piece to understand here is most people in that space care about the environment. Most people have an environmentally conscious mindset around mm-hmm. we want to do this the right way. Yeah. Uh, some reports have come out recently of, of all the packaging, right? There's a ton of packaging. If you go to a medical recreational facility to, to buy cannabis. And so they're looking at, you know, waste stream cycles and things like that, but also focused on, on energy. Hey, we've got historically been using high pressure sodium or ceramic metal halide lights that are a thousand watts each. When we have an LED grow light, that's maybe 600 or 500. So you can cut your energy usage literally about six, 50 to 60% just by swapping out the lights. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like the commercial space was in 2014, 2015, that it just became a no brainer all of a sudden to like switch to LED. You know, it, it just makes sense. So I think the combination of them being environmentally conscious, the market, um, specifically in cannabis, growing astronomically and growers trying to find ways to increase production, lower cost. Um, I think the combination of those two things is really going to see the, the CEA space in general get get really built up. Uh, and then the last thing I'll mention on that is, you know, you look at the food waste in this country, it's ridiculous. Uh, a lot of that comes from the the transportation from foods coming in. So if you can grow those foods locally and they're not having to be trucked miles and miles and miles and states away, you're reducing your carbon footprint by removing those trucks off the road, growing it locally, sustainably. It just checks so many boxes of the efforts that we have as an energy company, but also, you know, the social efforts of I think most of the individuals at our at our company. Right. And like you said, the the technology improving, it's not just the lights, I guess, it's the sensors that you can use now that you're putting in for office yeah. buildings. They're going to be using these in different ways. The humidity, is the temperature right, all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, understanding the the key performance indicators within controlled environment agriculture space is super important. And then it's how you you capture that data and how you manage that data. Another thing to think about is the utility companies need to understand this too, because as these businesses get built up, um, their grid has to be ready for the new energy draw. So think at, think of the residential space where you're going to have a lot of people that want to grow those, you know, four plants like here in mm-hmm. Virginia, starting July 1st at home. And they could be potentially, you know, collectively pulling a lot of energy uh, from the grid. So the utilities need to understand that data as well. Um, in fact, you, you can look up in Vermont, they've got a really good energy efficiency rebate program up there for CEA customers um, where they're, you know, incentivizing to be energy efficient at all levels. So, yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's an exciting space. Yeah, we uh, have learned a lot. Um, I, I'd never had a green thumb before, uh, <laughs> before the last year and a half, but it's been super fun to learn about the different KPIs, like within those facilities and, and how to capture that data and design those systems. One thing I'm reading more about is how the energy industry is helping economically disadvantaged segments of the population, low income residential. And they're doing that with, um, some new sources of, of money that are, that are 
becoming available. And we're talking about things like adaptive reuse, uh, weatherization. What are you hearing about that? There's always been programs out there, uh, depending on what state you're in and the utilities in that region. But there's some new focus on low to medium income housing and and uh, disadvantaged groups of people. Obviously, um, they big users of energy. They get high bills, and it's you know based on their income, it's a really bad ratio of you know say for example you get a hundred and twenty dollar electric bill and you only brought home four hundred dollars that week. So I think there needs to be a focus on supporting these. Uh, LMI communities and giving them the opportunity to participate in programs where we can not only help them and, and collectively reduce our carbon footprint, but we can also help them save some money in, in, the, in the meantime and keep them safe. You know, a lot of these uh, places need a facelift uh, and right. they need um, some eyes on certain things, whether it's the structure of, of the facility or maybe a gas leak or maybe a fire hazard or something like that. So there's a lot of boxes that uh, we can check off when we go into these facilities. And um, we're only able to do that by utilizing the funds that come down through energy efficiency programs. And, you know, it's something that if you if you have the means to fix your roof, for example, you may not think about this as an energy expense, but if you can't afford to put out enough money to fix your roof, then you're going to have this high energy bill month to month. Another example you gave me, I think, was changing out the water heater. Basically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it to where these folks don't get caught in the situation where the utility bill is a major burden on them financially. We're improving the actual the physical asset, like the building for the developer, uh, for the owner of the building. We're investing in creating a healthier space for these families, and we're also helping them save money, and we're also helping the environment. So it's it's just a you know it's makes a win sense. for everybody. It's a win for everybody. Yeah. We just have to make sure that the programs are structured uh, in a way where we're really focused on the resident and we're focused on the end user. Well, it's good to hear insight. There's a lot of news in the energy industry, and um, so many headlines. We're going to keep watching some of these, and I think we're going to have to pull a couple of these out and do a separate yeah, uh, episode, definitely. especially I know you're, you're, you're going to be wearing that farmer hat soon with that indoor agriculture. <laughs> and I can see it. I can see it. Well, next uh, time I'm going to get you a couple cups of coffee for listeners that don't know, Jason and I came back from Maryland last night at about 2 a.m. in the morning, hit a lot of traffic uh, on 95. We were flying drones and doing video shots at a project up there. So we were a little and coincidentally, it was another project that had the uh, your channel partners. It was a, a solar plus the LED retrofit. We'll talk to talk about that another time. But well, for now, we'll leave it there and get, take a nap. And uh, we appreciate <laughs> you listening. Um, on behalf of VLED Energy, we uh, are glad you're here for the Energy Sense podcast. Please make sure to subscribe so you can get um, new episodes when they come out. Uh, follow us and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, folks.